Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What say you, Richard Ellett Murdoch? Are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God, my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay? And the whole point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. Welcome to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch's Murders, Money, and Mystery. I'm Ann Emerson. I'm joined by our exclusive legal analyst, former South Carolina Attorney General Charlie Condon, and our executive producer, Drew Tripp. Today, we wanted to uh, talk a little bit about what's going on, uh, the latest information that we have on the evidentiary hearing that needs to be held basically a retrial hearing, um, and what is coming to the forefront as far as why this is actually going to happen. Now, one of the big things that has come to light is that they're asking that uh, the judge who presided over the murder trial, over the double murder trial with Alec Murdoch to recuse himself or to be dismissed at this point from presiding over a retrial hearing. So now we know there's gonna be a retrial hearing. The question is, is who's going to be presiding right. over it? Now, what is the case that they have? Uh, it, and when I say they, I mean the defense team that have put together this information about Judge Newman. What, let's just be sure that we're giving everybody the basics first. Um, and either I can throw that to either one of you guys. What do you think is, is the crux of why Judge Newman is getting asked now in this extraordinary m motion to step aside? Well, I guess I can take a stab at that one because I think we talked about this in the last podcast that, that the likelihood of Judge Newman presiding on the motion for, for a new trial if one at that point in time had been ordered, which it now has been, mm -hmm. would be somewhat low, but, but given the, uh, the back and forth with the jurors and, and uh, Clerk Hill, well, what's happened since then, mm -hmm. another really bombshell, really, if you start mm -hmm. thinking about where, where this, what, what's been happening in this case is behind the scenes, in fact, defense counsel took a very pointed effort to remove Judge Newman by writing him a letter. It's part of this uh, writ of prohibition filing. I'll get to that. But in the filing itself, they write him a letter saying, we believe you have to step down because of the missteps that are, are, are there and also because you may be a potential witness they allege are there. And Creighton Waters responds relatively quickly in another letter opposing that. Yeah. And so apparently Judge Newman between these letters did not step down. So they then file this 
what's called an extraordinary writ in the South Carolina Court of Appeals, a writ of prohibition. And in this, I think it's 265 pages, mm -hmm. there's a wealth of information in there, uh, not the least of which, in my humble opinion, is they've got an affidavit, here we are with affidavits again, from uh, Dr. Greg Adams, uh, I think he used to be a professor of ethics at USC Law School, who's, I think he's now retired, living here in the, in the Charleston area. And he opines in his affidavit that Judge Newman really committed judicial misconduct in, in a number of different ways, basically by commenting on the case uh, at, in, in public forums and also by commending the jury for their verdict uh, and in the public forum for uh, criticizing the defense counsel for that visit to Moselle, not saying that wasn't a good strategic decision. He lists a number of, uh, of reasons why he considered it to be judicial misconduct. And so as part of this filing, they're saying, and what's interesting too, is they're not asking that Judge Newman, they're not saying they're gonna go through the formal disciplinary process. Mm -hmm. They're not doing that. They expressly say they're not doing that, but they do want him to step down because of this alleged misconduct, because Alec Murdoch has a right to a judge to hear his motion who hasn't, who hasn't committed judicial misconduct. So it's, it's in a lot of ways a very tough filing. Uh, and um, the state, I believe, has 10 days from when the writ was uh, filed to respond, which should be very soon. I don't know what their legal position is going to be, but there's a lot of behind-the-scenes action. I do think it's a fair question as to whether or not the defense should have gone to Judge Newman first in a formal filing. Mm -hmm. and well, but that's a big thing, isn't mm -hmm. it? A lot of people have asked that as well. They've said a lot of the criticism has been mm -hmm. about this filing. So why didn't they go to the to Judge Newman first? In fact, I saw some Twitter conversations with other lawyers, well-known lawyers, who have been involved in different aspects of the Murdoch case, saying exactly that point, that, that that's what they must do. But is that what this letter is that we've seen well, in this fair, big filing? I think it's perfectly um, predictable that the Supreme Court might dodge it by saying exactly that. You have to go to Judge Newman first. But they've got these letters, though. And so... Uh, I would presume that the that the the swirling around that's going here, particularly mm -hmm. with this public filing, is that Judge Newman himself may take it upon himself not to become center stage, so to speak, in all this. But procedurally, and, and bear with me on this because it's a lot going on with the Murdoch case. But we've got the breach of trust set for trial set for November 27th, which to me is the is is the key element of of, of whether Murdoch stays in prison the rest of his life or not because if they get three of these they're easy cases to prosecute in a footnote they're saying the writ of prohibition equally applies to the upcoming trial and asking that judge newman be prohibited from that trial although they acknowledge in their footnote that he has no personal knowledge of the financial crime case so a lot swirling here mm -hmm. and a lot of legal information and, and and posturing going on and who knows where it would end up but again, if you if you step back and look at this film, I think the bombshell that, 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 that they've really delivered, and I think in a way effectively with this affidavit, is accusing Judge Newman of judicial misconduct, really without accusing him, in sort of a nice way, by saying they're not going to file anything formally. But they couldn't be more clear in their legal arguments that they believe that uh, he didn't meet the standards relative to judges uh, in, their, in their opinion, in their, in their legal position, along with an expert's affidavit. It's a very... It, what I what I hear you saying is that they are, they are trying to walk a very fine line between uh, 
throwing Judge Newman totally under the bus here and saying that he's committed some kind of judicial misconduct and not that he didn't, that he might have in just this particular case because of the notoriety of it? Is that what we're looking at? A very fine line? I mean, how do you do that? How do you do that? How can he not be held accountable, as it were? Why are they saying he shouldn't be held accountable? Well, they really don't address that other than to say that because of his outstanding uh, reputation and achievements and character, they don't believe that's the proper path to go down. And just a two-sentence uh, part of their, their motion, there is this general really rule out there. If you think someone is going to constantly commit ethical violations, you have a duty to report that. Yeah. So I guess what they're saying is they don't feel it reaches that standard. I wonder where Professor Adams would stand on this. It might be a good question to ask him. He's opined that there are very serious uh, violations of the, of the judicial canon. Uh, he's an ethics professor. Wouldn't he have some sort of, anyhow, when you start reading all this, what, what, what I do think has is, is, is happened is that there's a very sharp, shall we say, um, position by the defense that we don't want Judge Newman on this case mm -hmm. because we believe that for these reasons he either is going to be a witness, he's biased, and that he's committed all these judicial canon violations, so therefore we want him off this case at all cost. And Drew, I mean, have you, when was the last time you saw a judge go on national television and talk about a case? And or I mean, you know, it, to me, it feels like a very unusual situation in the first place. He was on uh, the Today Show. He also gave a speech to his alma mater, um, to a room full of judges. And, and Charlie, you can answer to that as well. You know, it, but it feels like we are in um, uncharted territory a little bit. <laughs> That's uh, uh, a day ending with why in this case. Uh, it's uncharted territory. <laughs> um, uh, I, especially on the, the Today Show front, um, and there's some insight into how that happened in Becky Hill's book, which we'll come circle back to that later on as we discuss more, more that's happening with this. Um, with this, all these proceedings, and how it, we, of course, know that ties back into the allegations of jury tampering by a clerk of court, Becky Hill. Um, but I, it, one thing that I was thinking of, Charlie, while you were speaking a minute ago, and while Anne was addressing this, is it, it's almost when we're talking about threading that needle, walking that line of how do you accuse him of judicial misconduct in a roundabout way without pursuing formal accusations of judicial misconduct. Um, and I, it, it almost, uh, I think a, a reaction to that could be, well, isn't, aren't they a little bit there, therefore talking out of both sides of their oh, no mouths to an extent? No so question, no question. Either it is or it isn't. I agree, and that's what I mean. Like, that's what's bothering me about this is like, either accuse them or not. It's not like a little. Give him a chance to defend himself. Exactly. You mm -hmm. can't just, yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So, so I just can't believe it's been written down as that. As no, that, yeah, well, you know? it, it was a surprise to me once I read it. Do you think it hurts their argument if they're not willing to go, like, put everything down on black, basically? Well, I do basically? think it undercuts it a good bit. And I will say this. I, when I, I've watched this whole thing, it never really even occurred to me that there was any judicial misconduct going on throughout this whole process and because I can't tell the number of times I've seen judges in South Carolina basically commend a jury for their verdict. And But sure enough, when you see Professor Adams' affidavit, it's right in there in the canons. 
that they're not to do that specifically. And, and I think the reason that, 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 that he's able to cite so many canons is if you step back from this case as potential violations, none of this would be of any import but for Becky Hill's book, right? That was what started the, right. the, the whole jur, jury tampering, allegations, and motion for new trial. So now it's put this big spotlight on, on everything. And I do think with the spotlight being here, uh, I do wonder if Judge Newman might not be thinking the best way to solve it is to simply maybe insist upon there be some form for him to defend himself if he wants to. I don't think he needs to defend himself, but maybe mm -hmm. instead of putting himself in the middle of all this, it might be best just to let some other judge handle it. He's, he's 72 years old. He's supposed to be retiring this year. He's already said that he would, um, that he has the opportunity to 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 work through the mm -hmm. the following year in order to deal with these 99 financial crimes that that Alec Murdoch is still facing, which you were you were addressing. So this is. Um, really, for Judge Newman to put himself back out there for a whole, even just to deal with the retrial hearing, right. that's asking a lot of a human being at this point. I'll say. I'll say. Uh, and, and that is something, a point to be clear about. Judge Newman is the presiding judge on all Murdoch matters in mm -hmm. that entire sphere, not just Murdoch, mm -hmm. Corey Fleming, Russell Lafitte, mm -hmm. uh, the downstream guys, the, the guys from Walterboro who were brought up on the PPP loan fraud stuff that ended up being tangential to Murdoch with the drugs and stuff. Uh, Judge Newman is over all of that. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, Murdoch's defense lawyers are asking that he be prohibited from presiding over all of it. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, and that, that another tie here that we, that we get into that sort of echoes, mirrors uh, what we're hearing from, what we're hearing from Murdoch's defense team about the potential bias that's also what we're getting from Corey Fleming's def uh, mm -hmm. appellate defense team um, with Elizabeth Franklin Best and mm -hmm. Debbie Barbier. That's the crux of their appeal, which we took everyone by sort of surprise and flabbergasted most of us. Like, okay, you just pleaded guilty to all these charges, and now you're appealing your conviction. Mm -hmm. You pleaded guilty and you're sent because he got a pretty hefty sentence. Um, but that is that is the crux of it. Uh, they're they're arguing that Judge Newman has given way to bias in right, this right. case. And and also and throwing, he, yeah, that's a good point. And also throwing in there too the fact that he may in fact be a witness or somehow involved with the motion for a new, new trial. With the you, exactly. you might know better than I about all this, but the Facebook post, that's that, right? That, yeah, um, a material witness. Uh, that that that's also a, a big deal with it. Uh, there's no way that they can. They're saying there's no way he can be the presiding judge, especially on a retrial hearing when the crux of the retrial hearing is the Facebook post, Becky Hill's book, the alleged allegations of jury tampering when they're, and I noted that in this recent filing, they expanded upon sort of their source materials. And mm -hmm. when I say they, have, excuse the pronouns, uh, they meaning Murdoch's defense team, they sort of expand on the, the source material of their accusations that it was Becky Hill who sort of whole cloth brought this Facebook post issue to the forefront and stirred up the, stirred the pot there. I, I, and again, it, it's always, I feel it's very important to bring this caveat anytime we talk about the Facebook post and the allegations as far as that concerns. The Facebook post is not why 
the juror in question, the quote-unquote egg lady juror, that Facebook post is not why that person was ultimately removed from the jury going into the final hours of the trial. They were removed for another reason and had been found to have been making statements about the case, their opinion, the verdict, the evidence, talking about the case outside of court as they'd mm -hmm. been instructed not to do. But mm -hmm. there, it, I, it's almost like in a trial with so much circumstantial evidence and uh, character evidence um, that was directly or indirectly brought into the case, it's that Facebook post issue speaking to a pattern of behavior by a pattern of alleged behavior. Again, let me qualify that. The accusations against Becky Hill, the pattern of accused behavior on her part of what she was doing. And if they're saying that she essentially invented, again, this Facebook post supposedly by the egg lady juror's ex-husband, whole cloth, just made it up out of nowhere and then found some old Facebook post from a guy in Jessup, Georgia or somewhere. <laughs> forget, <laughs> I forget, I, I looked him up and I forget where he, but just completely unrelated to all of it. And that in itself, that is such a big thing to get wrong and to be lying about. Um, or to have made up or to have confused or, but that's the implication, right? This, this supposed Facebook post that created this whole sidebar inquiry into this person and put her under the court's microscope in addition to other issues that it's just invented out of nowhere based off nothing and then confusion. That is, that's very serious. Yeah, and then serious Judge, Judge Newman mm -hmm. is going to have to speak to that. Mm -hmm. How did how did you learn about this? Where was the chain? Give us the chain of custody. Mm -hmm. Give us the evidence. And if they can't produce it, that's that either. Well, it doesn't help her character. No. And it, it, and but it doesn't make us feel better about all the other accusations no. that we have to kind of deal with. Right. right. Mm -hmm. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I mean, I think that's also, it's, it's definitely taking a hit on her, on her reputation mm -hmm. as it is. And that... It's just creating, for transparency's sake, when you're working on such a high-profile trial, when you're trying to uh, to get it right, right, do you take any risks, Charlie? I was so impressed with the way the trial was run when I was there, mm -hmm. but evidently there was lots of behind-the-scenes that, that uh, we didn't see in the open courtroom, particularly with the in-camera hearing transcripts and things mm -hmm. that are going on there, but that I don't know, the book, right? I mean, you go back to Becky's yeah, book and then do. Judge Newman, I still want to be president of his fan club, but I do think the um, the glare of, 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 of fame and being able to be on all these shows, I just have this image. He's, he's there at his alma mater with all these judges around. So there's no one's even hinting of anything being done incorrectly, mm -hmm. which is the gravamen of... of uh, Dr. Adams's affidavit, one of the key, key, key points of it all. And so I think just sort of being put in that position, mm -hmm. it's just so unfortunate because 
but for the jury tampering allegations, again, none of this would be here, but we're here, no. and, the, and the legal system has to deal with it, and I think the best way to be thinking about dealing with is uh, you've got somebody who's been convicted of double murders, mm -hmm. you've got him admitting to all these huge financial crimes that uh, do warrant under our existing law a life sentence without parole, step back and find a way for the cases to be prosecuted effectively. So that's why I think it's incumbent upon the state of South Carolina. We see Creighton Waters in, in a letter is opposing these motions. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if you couldn't think past all this. I'm not here to give, give advice or anything along those lines. But uh, if you can get that trial underway on November 27th, it's all of a three or four day trial. Mm -hmm. He's already admitted to it. So I'd do my best if, if I were General Wilson. And by the way, one thing I did notice in his, uh, might have been his resume of Dr. Adams, he said he gave uh, legal advice or legal opinions, ethics to three attorneys generals. And I got to thinking to myself, I don't recall using him, and I don't recall any of my staff, but they might have. But if, if it weren't I, there are only four of us alive. So it had to be General Medlock, uh, General McMaster, now Governor McMaster, and now General uh, Wilson, who, who may have actually hired the same person. So we'll see where all that goes. If they can get their own ethics professor, maybe to, to disagree with his. Well, exactly, and find <laughs> out who the three generals were. <laughs> right. yeah. That's interesting. Well, you know, and for Creighton Waters to have a letter, this it kind of goes back to now we're arguing about whether or not a letter was sent, if, the, you know, if there was any impropriety to getting the right message to mm -hmm. Newman before they filed this motion and you know you have all of this back and forth already it's very clear that they do one thing and I, I, I keep on wanting to go back to this and so Dr. Adams this um, this ethics professor who they were able to get the affidavit from and really kind of outline why the defense team thinks that that Newman needs to be um, dismissed off of this case mm -hmm. um, are canons. Can you talk about what these canons are and why, mm -hmm. when you saw that, what you thought? Like, as far as it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just this uh, professor opining. Yeah, it wasn't a summary sort of. It I was think he, he went yeah. through it, uh, so to speak, chapter and verse. And so what he did was that he, he listed specifically his concerns relative to violating the code of judicial conduct went through the factual rendition of that, then cited the canon. And I just wasn't aware that a judge specifically was prohibited from commending a jury. It talked about you could thank them for their public service. That's, that's right in there. Mm -hmm. And then the other canon that came up repeatedly was, was, was not commenting on, in a manner on evidence that could, could prejudice a defendant when you have a pending matter. And I knew that was in there, but I didn't think it necessarily applied to an appeal. And I got to thinking about that. I think the reason it really never, ever comes up, because judges often will say things sort of on the record after a jury comes back and may talk about it otherwise. We've got this high-profile case. Everything's recorded. There are no secrets. The electronic world we live in now keeps things indefinitely. And so they're now able to just look at very specific comments by judge and I, i'm sure judge them and these are happy occasions i would i, I think it is alma mater's talking he wants to do a good job and answer questions uh today's show is, is the today show and so he's saying all these things and i'm just sure it never occurred to him that he's violating any canons but yeah. i will say when you do look at the canons that are cited by dr adams in his affidavit if you look at them just on black and white that's they're legitimate issues that are being raised by this uh this affiant, this Dr. Dr. Adams. So who hears the motion now? Uh, who, yeah. where are we in our, how many judges are we going through at this point to get <laughs> this case done? 
It, yeah, let me summarize that because that's fascinating to be just from a legal standpoint. Where it stands right now, the Court of Appeals has sent it back for a new trial hearing. We've got that. That's got to be heard. They've asked for this writ of prohibition. That's in the original jurisdiction of the, of the South Carolina Supreme Court. And they've got this 10 days for the state to respond. They'll have to make a ruling on this within that couple of weeks. Okay. And that will be before the no November 27th. I was about 27th. to say that's before November 27th. Mm -hmm. Okay, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see where it all pans out. I, I had to guesstimate at this point. I think we'll be on, on track for a November 27th trial, but I'm not so sure Judge Newman would be presiding. But there are ways, I mean, again, as we talked about, the Supreme Court could dodge this procedurally and say, make the motion first. It's improvidently asked for or we're not granting it. And you, it's improper at this point. Make it before Judge Newman. And we should have that sooner than later. Make it before Judge Newman. Yeah, the motion to uh, to kick him off these cases because of his, I mean, think about it. Be Dick and Jim again standing in some courtroom asking Judge Newman to not hear this case because, number one, he's potentially a witness, and number two, he's committed violations or he's have been violations of judicial canons. I, I, again, this is the Murdoch case. Who, who, who would have thunk it? Well, and you go through what Judge Newman went through. I mean, I, I look at what we know about Judge Newman as a judge. I mean, mm -hmm. his extraordinary career, mm -hmm. uh, his, his ability to do what he did during this trial and keep sort of during this trial, the circus, it felt right. like everything was like keeping it at a low roar. Did a great job. Keeping a lot of it out of the courtroom. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, not only that, his personal struggle. You mm -hmm. know, we, we find out like a week before the trial starts that his son has died. And to know that and to know what he sacrificed as just a human being to do this trial and then to kind of get hit with this on the back end, I know life isn't fair. But boy, that really stings. I couldn't agree. It's really a your career tough, too. a tough, um, a tough filing. They do try to soften it, right, by saying they're not thinking that it's necessary to file a formal grievance process with the Judicial Standards Commission. I think that's what it's called, and they dance around that as to why they don't feel the need to do that. But to your point, everyone's point here, that does seem to undercut their motion. If it's as egregious mm -hmm. as you allege that he can't even preside over the this new trial motion. Why aren't you doing that? And they dance around that. Yeah. I think that may be the state's response, too. If you think it's this, you file it and let that have its own uh, process. But we don't think it meets the standards for his recusal on this. Um, and they've got, in his letter, uh, Creighton does cite some, I think, some, some good arguments and some good law as to why the, that would be the case. But getting back to Judge Newman personally, I mean, would you want to put yourself at the center of this? Because I do think the attention mm -hmm. would unfortunately go from Becky Hill to him somewhat. And it's unfortunate that we're there talking about Becky Hill, because if you step back from this case, it all starts with this defendant being accused of these horrible, brutal murders. Mm -hmm. And he was convicted of it. I sat there. To me, there was, as to quote Judge Newman, in effect, overwhelming evidence. And so we're really getting far afield from what's happened here and, and what uh, I think needs to happen relative to the punishment of this defendant. Right. And there was certainly, I noted this in making my notes for today, just from the outset, even in this filing, this filing, this petition for the writ of prohibition, as it's called, mm -hmm. to have Judge Newman uh, barred from presiding further over Murdoch matters, even in the intro and introduction, introductory statements in that filing, Jim and Dick are attempting to relitigate the murder trial. 
they're they're making claims and saying, oh, this didn't happen or that didn't happen, and uh, in, in my opinion, misstating some of the evidence and how it was presented. I agree. Um, it, that's the overarching context to all of this, and there, the other context to all of this is the delay tactics that we're that we're right. looking at with trying to kick the can down the road and prevent this from going to trial at all and then also playing both sides the federal the federal side versus the state uh, I spoke to the US Attorney's Office last week just for an update um, they said it would not be this year uh, Murdoch sentencing again for a refresher, Murdoch, or a few, last month, month before, he pleaded guilty to his federal money laundering and fraud indictments. Um, we had that whole drama, which we didn't even, we haven't even touched on the whole drama <laughs> about the, we haven't even oh, gotten yeah, back yeah. to the, um, seize the assets. Seize the assets <laughs> and uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office said, uh, no thanks. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to tell it, yeah, you're not going to tell us right, what to right, do. Right, yeah. Um, and I'll touch on that again before we leave because that, that's happening in the background as well with the, what's about to happen with his assets. But they're not going to – the pre-sentencing report from the U.S. Department of Probation and uh, they, they have to conduct their own investigation of all the facts, uh, come up with a report and make a recommendation to the presiding judge and the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Defense Council. Then they negotiate on pr their what they think the sentencing should be, and that all leads up. It's, bottom line, months away. It's not going to happen this year. It would not happen. Murdoch's federal sentencing would not happen before that November 27th state trial on, on the Satterfield matter. Uh, so, however, if you get Judge Newman off the case, that has to then be rescheduled because you've got to find a new judge, I would assume, from right. an at-large well, judge. I think there is a possibility that someone could volunteer among their circuit judges and pop in there. I, it's a, yeah. That case, watch me be wrong about this, watch it last for weeks, but it, he's, only, he's being prosecuted from, it's a Satterfield case, right, the mm -hmm. breach trust, and so he has under oath said he did it in both mm -hmm. state and federal court, is our, even in he federal court. He has a confession of judgment to the money for the in money. state court. Um, in the federal court, yeah. I mean, they pretty much said he did it, right? Yeah. And, and he testified, didn't he, under oath that he did all the financial crimes when he was being, when he testified in the, in the So anyhow, yes, my point yes, is, exactly, you're right. the only issue in that case is, is, is a jury being sat. Uh, and I, having seen how it went in the Colleton County, I'm confident they can, they can get a jury in, uh, this is in Beaufort County, correct? Right. So it's a simple, I really do think any circuit judge could get right in there and hear this case and it would be error free and would be, would be upheld. They, they, I think with the overall arching strategies, looking at what the defense has done, they've gone to tremendous lengths with this filing and otherwise, they don't want that trial because you start that one only two left, and he's left without parole, regardless of what happens with the murder case. And so, I, Defendant Murdoch is a former lawyer, uh, he and prosecutor. He knows what, what's at stake here. He can get out of prison under the current federal sentence. He can. He can. I think his thinking is he's got a good shot at a mistrial and a retrial for his murder cases. But this one, he can't avoid it. And so, I think the state wisely is pushing forward with that. And I would hope that the state's position and the judicial system itself would be able to accommodate the request to have a trial that's already been set on a really simple case. Simple. Yeah, it's an easy strike. 
Yeah. Yeah. They're all easy strikes. They're all easy strikes. They're, just yeah, get the case because he's started. already said he did it. So it's just a question of does he get out of, mm -hmm. yeah. And he said he would plead to them if it weren't for life without parole. So that's what we are. We're dealing with really, really strong cases. And um, again, we'll see where it ends up, but I think that's the strategy to, to stop that. I've asked everybody that I can think of when this retrial hearing is going to happen. Mm -hmm. I think the concern is, I mean, I've heard from some sources, very good sources from the defense end that, you know, it shouldn't go on forever, that it should be a pretty straightforward retrial hearing. But what if all of this stuff starts coming in, you know, are we retrying the trial and the retrial hearing? Like, are we going to, are we going to oh, like gosh. drag everything through the mud basically and how long is that going to take? Mm -hmm. Are we still looking at the beginning of the year before with these holidays coming up? I, that, that's kind of what I was touching on a little bit. If there's any delay, if there's any delay in finding if, for example, the, the court agrees and Judge Newman is made to step aside or asked to step aside. And if there's any delay, it feels like whatsoever in seating and finding a new judge to just quickly mm -hmm. come in there, then we get into 2024 and legislative protections, and I, I don't know that Dick would, Dick didn't use that last time uh, to, Dick Harpootlian didn't use that last time uh, to get out of doing Murdoch's trial in January and what ended up January to March. Um, but I don't know, it just, Good point. It just puts so much, Good point. it puts so many more balls in the air if there's any sort of delay. Uh, in in uh, hypotheticals and what ifs, and that could prolong things. Um, uh -huh. So I think here's well, I shouldn't speculate about anything, but what oh, makes sense? Ahead. Well, okay, <laughs> why not? Um, if I was looking at it, does this make sense to you? Is what I should ask. Is does it make sense that they would try and keep this evidentiary hearing pretty short and sweet, thinking that they've got a good case, thinking that they want a retrial, and that they're going to get it, so that they make this sort of compact so that they could be looking at a retrial a lot faster. So this evidentiary hearing comes in, they get it done, they get out. They don't want it with the idea that there's enough there. I see. Based you're on thinking the, facts. the state, you're thinking the defense wants a trial pretty quickly, a retrial. I think quicker, as quickly as possible in order to not have those three strikes implemented. I see. If, he, if they could tie up the defense team Alec Murdoch make it impossible now that's a thought. to be that's in a, the three strikes. That's a chess move there. Wow. Yeah, I thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe nobody from the defense is listening to this. <laughs> but, but that makes sense to me. That mm -hmm. they would be like, okay, look, let's get this evidentiary hearing done. Right. Yeah, wow. I think that, you know, Senator Harpootlian, for all of his, you know, the immunity, I think he would use that immunity selectively. Maybe for the financial crimes, but not for the murder trial. Well, if you did have a, a retrial for the murder cases and that was set, just period, you're right. I mean, the preparation of that would take months and months and months and months. And so that likely wouldn't be held until later in next year at the earliest. And so I guess that really would be possible to put off the three strikes uh, trials until 2025. I hate to hear myself say that, but that would in fact occur. And then that moves, again, that moves the federal in front of the state. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Which is now, also good for Murdoch, right? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. but okay. I, again, I want to bring up a point 
in trouble. And he would go to federal prison at that point. He'd be well, transferred. Would he? Um, mm-hmm. Because, as speaking uh, on background to a former prosecutor, mm-hmm. they said. What is getting lost in all this is that original bond, that that original bond against Murdoch (laughs) in state court that has never been paid. And until that, until that $7 million. Oh, so yeah, he's, he's a state prisoner. Yeah. Uh, that now Hmm. I don't know. I don't know enough to, uh, I, I made this, uh, this little quip to someone the other day at a, at a court hearing, but I know enough to get myself in trouble right. that's you know just enough to think that i know and i that's turns out go, Charlie. Uh, well actually I, I find myself in this case scratching my head on so many things that have come up it's 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 unbelievable this case yeah. it just really has been unbelievable i suspect there'll be other shoes to drop in, in the relatively near future as the wise uh as the wise poet jimmy buffett has uh, said uh, never forget that you just may wind up being wrong so <laughs> we're going to try and just keep that uh, keep the ball going and uh, see what lands. We're going to be staying on top of this. Obviously, there are still more things to come. We have a lot of hearings coming up, mm-hmm. it sounds like. And yep. as we go through them, we'll be bringing you the latest uh, and and discussing it thoroughly in bombshell after bombshell. Right. Just mm-hmm. unprecedented. Mm-hmm. I mean, it feels like we those are overused terms, but I mean, in this case, yeah. you know, nothing's off the table. So, so thank you for joining us. Please stay with us on social media. We're going to be updating our Twitter. We'll be updating all of the, all of the YouTube channels and everything that, that you can get Unsolved South Carolina. Please keep on listening and watching. And also make sure that if you haven't had a chance to check out one of our other podcasts, it's Unsolved South Carolina, Finding Brittany Drexel. That is also available to you. Please take a listen. It's a fascinating um, true crime story based right here in South Carolina. And thank you for joining us. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.